Howdy, y'all. Welcome to Family with Family, a mindful discussion of wholesome fare. My name is Jackson Harper, and joining me as always for this discussion is my mother, Patricia Ann Stover Harper. Greetings and salutations. <laughs> How was your day? It was good. I went to the grocery store. Oh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's Aldi. Okay, well, good for you. Anyway, so we have a guest tonight. So uh, our guest is a friend of mine that I met through the Fear of God podcast. We've mentioned them many times on this show because they kind of were the inspiration for wanting to do this show. She is a quarterly queen over at the Fear of God, and uh, she's joining us from uh, the Great White North of Canada tonight to talk about tonight's film. Uh, it is Vera Gowdy. Hello. Hello, Vera. We're oh, not howdy. waiting currently. It is summertime. No. But... <laughs> we accept I just days. enjoy saying that. <laughs> we the six, we the north, we get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mom, why don't you uh, tell our listeners what movie we're talking about tonight? Tonight, we're talking about the movie Coda. 2021 film about Ruby, who is the only hearing member of a fishing family from Gloucester, Massachusetts. Her parents and her brother are both hearing impaired. Ruby is a hardworking young lady. She gets up at three o'clock in the morning to go fishing with her family and arrives at school, hopefully on time. And she has joined the choir. It's about um, her becoming a, an adult. Let's just put it that yeah. way and making decisions sure. for herself. So this is a little different from our normal type of movie that we would discuss on this show, but I saw it and was very, very taken with it. Now, normally on this show, we're doing like PG or G rated movies that like children can watch. This is not really that kind of movie. I wanted to sort of expand our horizons a little bit and talk about a movie that's more about a family than it is for the whole family. Although I think this movie is okay for like teenagers and stuff to watch. But I wanted to bring Vera on to talk about this movie because it is one of her favorite films. She has a very uh, special connection to it. So Vera, why don't you talk about uh, why you love this movie so much? Sure. So uh, the movie Coda, the title is an acronym that stands for Child of Deaf Adults one or both parents can be deaf. It makes somebody a coda. And I am a coda. Both of my parents are deaf and one of my aunts. So three deaf people in my family. Mm. So, I mean, we're going to get into like uh, scenes and characters and stuff. And But I just wanted to ask you, like, does this movie, Vera, does this pretty well uh, represent your life as being part of a deaf family? I think that no one movie about a group, specifically mm -hmm. like a marginalized group, can capture everything that comes with being a part of that marginalized group. Um, whether it's being a deaf person and the deaf representation mm -hmm. in the movie or being a coda. Um, but I think this movie touches on a lot of things that a lot of people within the deaf community and a lot of codas have felt um, or have experienced. And mm -hmm. so while I wouldn't say that it is like all encompassing, 
I would say that there's definitely things in the movie that we pick up on that I don't think that the general public picks up on because mm -hmm. it's so much more personal for us. Um, yeah. And I think that any representation like this is good exposure for people to learn at least something about a different mm -hmm. way of living. Yeah. And that is another goal of this show is we like to, we like to learn things and, and talk about ideas and stuff like that. So I'm glad that you're here having this conversation with us. Maybe you can give us some more insight into the, this movie as we go along. Happy to. Okay. <laughs> well, let's uh, get into our first segment then, which is called Character Counts in which mom lists off all the characters uh, like we're reading the playbill. First of all, our, our star of the movie, Ruby Rossi, played by Amelia Jones. Frank Rossi, played by Troy Kotzer, who mm -hmm. is, is here, is deaf, and his wife is also, her name is Deanne Bray, and I had previously seen him in Sue Thomas, FBI, which is a Canadian <laughs> uh, drama about a, a woman who actually was an FBI agent. And I sent Jackson a photo from like way back where I have a picture with Deanne and Troy. And my mom and my godmother, who's also deaf, is in the picture too. It was at one of the deaf schools. They came to celebrate like a milestone there. And Amazing. I just happened to be there with my mom that day. And so I have a picture of them and I don't remember taking it, but it is <laughs> photographic is evidence that I did. <laughs> I adore that program. I have watched all of the episodes like three or four times. Yeah. Right. And I like Troy in it. Okay. And then Jackie Rossi, who is played by Marley Matlin, who is also deaf. I don't know if she's totally deaf. I think she is almost totally deaf though. She uh, I think she, she identifies as a deaf person. I don't know what her audiogram says, but she identifies as a deaf person, a person who is culturally deaf. And then um, Leo Rossi, played by Daniel Durant, who is also deaf. So it, this is very uh, neat that they actually employed truly deaf people to play the lead roles opposite uh, Ruby. And then uh, there's... Mr. V, I'm the, I can't roll an R. I can't roll an R. Bernardo. Bernardo. Yes. Bernardo Villalobos. Eugenio De Derbe, Derbe, or Derbez. He's Mexican comedian, apparently. And He's I don't know anything about Interesting. Yeah, I know. I, I wondered if he really played the piano. And then there's Ruby's uh, love interest, Miles, played by... Fairy Awash Pilo. I don't know if I can say these right. He's, I think he's, <laughs> he's either English or Irish. And Gertie, played by Amy Forsyth. Those are the main characters. All right. Well, let's go around and uh, everybody gets to name their favorite character in the movie. Vera, let's start with you. Who's your favorite character? Um, my favorite character is Frank Rossi, um, played by mm -hmm. Trey Kotzer. Um, I love his acting. I think he deserved that. Um, Oscar that he won like yeah. by a landslide he was amazing um, he kind of aside my dad doesn't have a beard or long hair and is not as like no he is weathered um, <laughs> he, he looks very similar to my dad is what I'm trying to say except my dad is is does not swear as much so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I just I really like him as the father figure in this movie I think his signing is poetry and um, mm. I think that how he portrays um, a father in this movie is just very beautiful. 
Yeah, that's something that I've I've never really I've never really thought about sign language that much because I've never had to use it. But I, you know, I guess if you're a deaf person, your hands are your voice in a sense. Yes, exactly. And and yeah, I've never thought about signing the way somebody signs being poetic, but now that you say it that way, I can absolutely see what you mean. He's so expressive when yeah. he signs. Yeah. yeah. He and he uses a lot of idioms and analogy when he signs, like and the okay. captions don't necessarily capture it. But like gotcha. one of my favorite things that he says in the movie is um I'm going to try and phrase this as politely as I can. Um <laughs> is when he's talking about the the fishery that they all pay into. And mm-hmm. he um, does a gesture of pulling one of two <laughs> testicles off, but oh. it's actually a grenade. And he takes the pin out of the grenade and throws it back, plugs his ears, <laughs> and pretends that the building explodes. Like the <laughs> caption doesn't capture how, <laughs> how just exactly how graphic he hates that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's oh, that's interesting. Wow, mom, who is your favorite character? Duh, <laughs> Ruby. Yes, this is a joke on this show, Vera. She always picks the main <laughs> character as she her favorite really character. Is. I love love Ruby. She's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. The actress is fantastic. The character is fantastic. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. so deep yeah yeah so, um, also a british actor yes uh, and she's only 21 years old yeah very talented i can't she's, wait to see what she does next she, she plays very- the the sister in lock and key on netflix that's the only oh, i've not watched that okay i love her voice i love her of course um vera doesn't know this but but jackson and i are both sing we love i know jackson sings <laughs> <laughs> But you sing I, as well. I so do. Fun. Do you I sing together? Singing. We have some. We have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like. I love to sing with Jackson. We sang together just a few a month or so ago at church. Yeah, oh, at church. Better. We did when he was here. Um, but anyway, Ruby, her uh, the amount of depth in her character, how she grows through the movie, is just charming. Her innocence is charming. You know, she's yeah. just, she's charming and she is loving. She loves her family so deeply. And mm-hmm. when we get to the scene selection, I'll talk a little bit more about that. And the fact yeah. that she didn't know sign at all before she started the movie and just intensively took training. That was actually um, a friend of mine. His name is Anselmo D'Souza. And he was the um, the ASL consultant and tutor for for Amelia on that movie and just huh. her her passion to learn as much as she could and her involvement in like socializing with the deaf cast is really evident in how well she signs for somebody who is very novice and I thought yeah. she got an academy <laughs> award I'm sorry I do I, it was an amazing performance okay. yeah Uh, One little tidbit uh, when obviously we're going to talk about the ending in a little while, but, you know, she sings that Joni Mitchell song and she sang it at an award show in Britain and Joni Mitchell saw the performance on TV and tweeted about how great it was. (laughs) So it was really sweet. Yeah. And then 
when uh, Amelia Jones went on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, they actually got the tweet and put it in a little picture frame for her so she oh, could hang it oh on her my. wall. <laughs> yeah. So my favorite character, it's probably not going to come as a surprise. I love Mr. B. <laughs> <laughs> I always, and you know, we almost, we almost didn't talk about this movie. We were almost were going to talk about Mr. Holland's Opus, which is another movie involving music and, and well, one deaf character in that movie, as opposed to several in this one. But um, I always, I just, I love a music teacher. I'm a sucker for a music teacher as a character. <laughs> I mean, and we talked about School of Rock on this, you know, several episodes ago. And I like how he comes across as being this very, like, sort of tough, stern, take no prisoners kind of, uh, kind of teacher. But on the inside, you can see how much he really genuinely cares about his students, particularly Ruby, and how he, you know, he's willing to go out of his way to coach her, even though she does not meet his his strict standards a lot of the time. He is still like her number one advocate in her corner, yeah. and that that plays into the ending of the movie, which I, like I said, we're going to talk about that later. But uh, anyway, anybody, any other characters, anybody want to talk about before we move on? Not yet. <laughs> so our next segment as always, is called Scene Selections. So normally we do two scenes each if we have a guest on here, but this movie is so full of rich scenes, I couldn't pick just two. So we're <laughs> going to do three scenes each. Um, cheated this episode. What now? Cheated this episode. You added I do that. It. We fudge it a little bit. <laughs> like when we did Sister Act, it was just me and her, and we did four scenes each because we just I we couldn't pick <laughs> so anyway so I'm going to start with mom because I believe that she chronologically has the first scene so we're going to go mom and then me and then Vera you're going to be third so before we say the scene selection I just have to say this that this movie is a giant musical metaphor because Coda or Vera, are you aware that this is a musical term? Yeah. Okay. Um, but what it what a coda is is in a music piece of music. Normally, there will be repeats of the theme. Okay. And then there'll be a little mm -hmm. thing that says D S all coda. Uh, it means go to the sign and then go to the coda. Okay, so you're going back and repeating another theme, which is what they're doing in this movie. And then you have the finale, which is the coda. And I just I just think I don't know who wrote this this story, but um, it was pretty genius. It comes to make from a, a movie a about film. But to make a movie about deaf people and music and then call it coda is just it's just amazing. Okay, first scene of the movie. Um, I love this scene because it just sets the tone for the movie that it's going to be about music. It's going to be about fishing. It's going to be about deaf people. You know, mm -hmm. it's just an amazing beginning. And she is, it, you see, it pans in on the boat and uh, you start hearing the music. And what's playing in the background is a 60s song called Something's Got a Hold on Me by Etta James. And um, 
Ruby is this young woman who has really not had a childhood. And here it is in the wee hours of the morning. And ever since an early age, she's been getting up and going fishing with her family and then going to school. And she has from an early age been interpreting for the family. And you don't know that yet, but you see this woman and it's just a great start of the movie because as it goes on, you see the intense love she has for her family that she's willing to do this when she can hear perfectly fine. And she doesn't have to be up fishing, but she does out of respect for her parents and, and love for them. Of course, I love being out on the water in a boat anyway. Um, so it was just thrilling to see this beginning of the movie. And as it went on, it made it even better. Uh, any thoughts on the, the opening scene, Vera? Uh, and I also love the opening th- scene. I think it's really yeah. well done. And to ch- touch on um, what you had mentioned about where does the movie come from? It is the Americanized version of a French film called La Famille Bellier. Um, okay. But in that movie, none of the um, actors were deaf. They were hearing people playing uh-huh. deaf people. Mm-hmm. And so this film has been hailed as much better than that one because um, the authenticity of the death factors brings it up to a whole other level and pulls up the acting of everybody around them because you're forced to adapt in ways that you don't have to if your people are pretending to be deaf. Very hmm. Interesting. It is interesting. Okay, so I'm going to go next because I think next I have the next chronological scene at least. So uh, I'm going to set it up a little bit. So Ruby, she decides she wants to join the school choir as an extracurricular. And a lot of it's because she enjoys singing, but a lot of it is because the boy she has a crush on also yes. signs up for the choir. <laughs> so, and her friend Gertie thinks she's nuts. Um, she's like, I sing all the time, you know, on the boat or whatever. But she also, she doesn't know if she can sing because well, no one's ever heard her sing. The only people she sings around can't hear her sing. And so she's very, she's very nervous and she goes to the audition and he has them sing happy birthday. Uh, and he's sorting them like, you know, the Harry Potter hat into the different sections of the choir. But it gets around to her and she just can't do it. She just runs out of the room. She clams up and she goes out and she, um, sits on the you know edge of a cliff next to this beautiful lake and she starts singing happy birthday and you hear it's like oh she really can sing she just doesn't she doesn't know she's very insecure about her own voice so anyway she winds up the scene I really want to talk about is right after that where she goes back to Mr. V's classroom she goes back and she's talking about you know she really really wants this to be part of the choir And he asks her, how do you feel when you sing? And she's like, I don't know how to express that. I don't know how to put words to it. So he just says, try. And so she starts signing because that's her first language. And Vera, you could give a better (laughs) translation of what she actually says. But what I take from it, uh, just based on the visual cues, is it something like, I feel like all the tension in my body is being released and then I start floating. 
that's exactly it. Okay. It. <laughs> okay. I'm I'm just I'm yeah. just happy I was able to figure it out based on but that's so like also the, how I, the okay, two fingers ahead. pointing down, right? Those yes. are legs. And then she yes. has her other hand looking like the ground. And then she has the that hand shape, uh-huh. the upside down V floating off of the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, but it's 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 very relatable to me because when I sing, that's really how I feel. I mean, I've always told people it's like I sing because it drives away the devil. That's the way I like to put it. Is it's just this it's this fantastic cathartic release. And so when she says I feel like all the tension's being released and then I'm floating, I it's very very personal to my own experience as a, as someone who sings. Yeah, I find it highly relatable that she has trouble expressing it in English words because I do that all the time. I will Mm -hmm. forget English words or a concept will come to me visually and I'm like, I don't know how to put this in English, but this is what it is in sign language. Somebody help translate for me. (laughs) Yeah. Mom, do you have any thoughts on the scene? I just, I loved it when she did it, but I didn't try to analyze it, except I figured it felt like she was floating. I, I, yeah. You did much better at that. <laughs> I, I know I, I feel the same way because goodness, I'll be driving down the road singing at the top of my lungs. Do you do that? Yeah. Yeah, we, we do that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We sing in the car, even in the shower. Every yeah. <laughs> so, um, All right. So next up, Vera, what is the, the first scene you want to talk about? Um, I'm trying to think of which one of mine comes first chronologically, but all of mine are towards the end of the movie. Um, yeah. the, the scene where um, after Ruby tells her parents that she wants to go to college and her parents mm-hmm. are in their bedroom and they're talking about um, what to do about Ruby and her ambition and the mother, Marley Matlin's character, says to the father, she's my baby. And he says to her, she never got to be a baby. She was never a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just hits really home to me as I think CODAs nowadays have it a little bit differently. There's a lot more, there's a lot of technology um, that can assist. And mm-hmm. there's a lot more availability of things like interpreters and stuff. But when I was growing up, that wasn't a thing. And so I was very much in the place of being the family interpreter and um, you lose a little bit of childhood when you are Mm -hmm. forced into adult situations because of the barriers that are in place for your parents. Um, When I was in Italy uh, last October, I was visiting with my aunt, my great aunt who still lives there. And she was recounting um, the first time she came to Canada when I was six years old. And she doesn't speak any English and she doesn't know sign language. And my mom, when they moved to Canada, they all switched to English so she doesn't speak Italian. Um, And she was recounting at the airport. My grandmother couldn't pick her up. So my parents had to do it. um, And they brought me along. And what (laughs) we did was we went to a payphone and we called my other aunt, her other sister, Um, who I was six years old at the time. And she's like, I couldn't believe this, but you were watching your parents. You were telling your aunt what they said in English. Then you would pass the phone to me and she would translate (laughs) in Italian. And then (laughs) 
I would pass the phone back to you and she would tell you my response in English and you would tell your parents. She was like, you were six years old. I couldn't believe that you were managing this adult conversation that was happening with such experience and professionalism, but that's just how it was back then. And I did that all the time. That is amazing. <laughs> that's pretty wild. I mean, I can't even imagine what that what that conversation must have looked like to somebody just passing by. <laughs> it, yeah, and I don't remember doing it because it was just such a common thing. It didn't stand out for me, but it really stood out for her. <laughs> that's a really good story. I like that. <laughs> Any other thoughts on this scene? My next scene comes right before that. Okay, well, why don't you why don't you go into that then? Oh, it's the scene where Ruby breaks the news to her family that she loves singing so much and she wants mm -hmm. to go to college at, at Berkeley. And the parents are just so visibly shocked at this mm -hmm. at this news. And they're hurt. They're just mm -hmm. they're hurt to think that they will lose her. At this point, they're still very insecure. Am I am I reading into it wrong and no truly marley matlin or what what's her name jackie jackie, jackie yeah she's kind of immature don't you am i wrong she's <laughs> model a little immature she even said one time to ruby well if i was blind would you want to paint <laughs> yeah uh, she's very she's kind of introverted and self-centered but I mean, I, she clearly loves her daughter, but, you know, she just only kind of thinks about herself yeah. in some ways. I think she just can't relate to her because there's a, a cultural gap there, right? There's a cultural gap and there's a, a, an interest gap. She wants to look beautiful. And that's probably part of her insecurity because she feels like she's not right. This, in my, I don't think I'm reading into that, but no, I but, think you're right. Um, Ruby just handles it so well. Um, she's just not going to back down, even though they're so insecure. And she recognizes that it's not fair for them to think that she could stay there with them the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, all parents feel this when their children grow up and, and want to go to college, want to get married, want to leave home. But their um, situation is just enhanced by the fact that they're so insecure because she's been the bridge. She's yeah. been yeah. the bridge to the hearing world all of her life. It's, and it is well, so much more okay. effort. It's so much more effort to go through the professional channels and book an actual interpreter or to call the video relay service like when you just you have somebody who's fluent in both languages already accessible within your home it's so much easier to call on that person than it mm -hmm. is to to fight the systems in place in order to get the professional services right and and the, the movie did a fabulous job of of portraying them as they're they're blue collar workers you know they're mm -hmm. not highly educated people and but they're not, they're smart, but they're just, they haven't had the opportunities yeah. that, mm -hmm. to know what's out there for them. And that's one of the best things about the movie is how they grow mm -hmm. in, in this yeah. movie. So. 
I, I think it's worth bringing up that the, the sort of dark cloud hanging over this whole part of the movie is that like they're in in jeopardy of losing their fishing business. They are. Yeah. Because like the regulatory board has come down and say, you have to have someone who can hear on your boat at all times. You know, the son and the father can't just go off on their own because they've been slapped with this fine and everything. And so, and Ruby's been their deckhand and they can't necessarily afford to hire somebody at the moment. So that's hanging over the scene as well. It's not just losing ruby but it's like they could lose everything mm-hmm. yeah if ruby leaves burden to place on a 17 year old mm-hmm. yeah a terrible burden and that's why she's my favorite character because <laughs> the way she <laughs> handles the situation she's yeah. cool yeah it's <laughs> cool as a cucumber okay so i'm gonna back us up a little bit and uh it's a more light-hearted scene i always like to have at least one of those Ruby and Miles have been assigned this duet uh, for their fall concert. Mr. V is assigned them this song to sing as a duet. And so uh, Miles comes over to the house one day and um, they're just in her room and they want to work on this song, but they're, they're so awkward <laughs> with each other. Cause you get the feeling like they both kind of like, I mean, you know that she likes him, yeah. but you, you can tell he kind of likes her too. And they have to sing this love song that they've been very harshly criticized by Mr. V for not singing with enough emotion. And so they're like, so how do we do this? Do you want to stand? Okay, let's stand. And then they start trying to sing while they're looking at each other and they can't, they cannot get through it. And so they're like, okay, let's stand back to back and sing together. And when they do that, they're both, um, the sort of tension is eased and they start singing together and their voices sound so wonderful together. Mm-hmm. They blend so well. I think she is the much better singer of the two. He's got kind of a weak voice, but they sound very good together. And uh, I just like that scene because it, it's true. Like singing with someone is kind of an intimate act. And if you're not used to someone that you're singing with, then looking them in the eye while you're singing to them, that can get very uncomfortable very quickly. And I don't really have a grander point to make about it. I just really enjoy that scene and the the awkwardness and how it's finally resolved when they (laughs) decide to stand back to back and sing together. So anybody else have a comment about that scene? No, because my next scene is about the song okay in the concert <laughs> yeah. yeah and then the scene immediately gets awkward again so <laughs> oh goodness it gets so so awkward <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> all right Vera what's your next scene so jumping back slightly um or sorry jumping forward slightly but back to um <laughs> the um, Patricia's last um scene was uh, when Leo, the brother, tells Ruby how he wants her to go because Gertie, her best friend, told him that he's a good singer and Gertie is somebody who is able to hear and, and he trusts Gertie and that they can't keep relying on her. She That mm-hmm. Ruby's right. They can't keep relying on her and he doesn't want to keep relying on her. And this is an insecurity that he's had throughout the movie is that while Ruby feels out being the only hearing member of her family, 
he feels left out because he's the older brother, but they're depending on her because of her ability to hear. And mm -hmm. there's a, a saying within the deaf community, deaf can, it's just deaf can, two signs, regardless of the fact that they are unable to hear, deaf people can do anything except hear. And mm -hmm. he says to Ruby, let them figure out how to communicate with us. As opposed yeah. to them having to bend over backwards all the time to miss out on or to be taken advantage of at the fishery because they're mm -hmm. not able to hear. So they get the worst deals, right? Like let them figure out how to communicate with us. Let them feel uncomfortable. Let those mm -hmm. hearing people do the work to communicate with us as opposed mm -hmm. to always us doing it to communicate with them. But as long as Ruby is around, she's the easy fallback in order to be that bridge, right? So he wants her to go yeah. so that they have the opportunity to stand up. And I just mm -hmm. really love that self-advocacy. Mm -hmm. Mom, you have any thoughts on that one? Oh, I, I really like that too, because he just feels so, um, he, he is not insecure. He doesn't seem insecure. He wants to advance. He's already been telling his dad, we need to sell the fish ourselves. I've mm -hmm. got this. He is, he's not like his parents in, in that respect at all. And mm -hmm. um, he proves it. Yeah. He's that, that performance is really, I don't think that's the, the character that most people come out of the movie thinking about, but he, it's a really good performance by that guy. Oh yeah. 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 So, especially like, that scene. Yeah. I see like the generations of, this is a little bit of um, deaf history and I'm going to try to, to say it very quickly. So mm -hmm. sign language was banned worldwide from 1880 until about the 1960s um, huh. from a, an event called the Milan conference of 1880. So while people may have signed within their communities and things like that, publicly it was banned in schools. It was banned. Oralism was the only approach. So my parents grew up oral deaf uh -huh. where they were forced to learn to speak as opposed to use sign language, they acquired sign language a little bit later in life. And so from that generation, the generation before them who fingerspell everything, because that was the method that they used at the time to my parents who speak and exactly <laughs> the alphabet, but imagine sitting in a class and your teacher says, hello, my name is Mrs. The whole lecture is oh. spelled. <laughs> That so would be the, horrible. My grandparents' generation of deaf people, the Rochester method is what that was called. They signed that way. And so they're very used to speaking and they're very used to using English. To my parents' generation, where they're very used to doing a little bit of both, to the next generation of deaf people, the deaf people that are around my age, who um, reject the oral approach and they rely mostly or primarily on sign language. And you can see that between the parent Rossies and the, the son Leo and that generational difference in deafness that I don't mm. think comes across to somebody who doesn't know that history. That's really interesting. I, did, I, had no I didn't know that either. <laughs> I did learn the alphabet at a very young age. <laughs> and you did a lot in school. Yeah, <laughs> to talk that's great. With my friend. <laughs> yeah, I used to cheat on multiple choice tests with my friends. I oh, I know I didn't do that. I'd sign it under the desk. <laughs> Oh. Okay, so uh, we're back around to mom. So this is going to be our, our uh, third scene each, and then we'll get into the finale of the film. 
my favorite scene in the whole movie is the fall concert. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's ironic, deaf people going to a music concert, right? <laughs> One of my specialties interpreting is interpreting at concerts. Really? I, yeah. It's <laughs> really neat. And I love to watch signing of one of our uh, beauty queens years ago, um, one uh, Miss Alabama. Did she win Miss America? Anyway, she, she won Miss America. Yeah, was, I can't remember her name. Yeah. Though. I can't remember. I can't believe I didn't even look it up. Uh, but she is was a beautiful signer. And uh, she won Miss America. She was deaf. <laughs> she is deaf. But anyway, I love the... the um, they sit down at the concert and they start just talking about what are we going to have for supper? I got to go to the store, yeah. you know, <laughs> Frank fiddles with his shirt. He thinks he's got it buttoned wrong. <laughs> no, they're going through the songs and they're clapping on cue, looking around, trying to figure out how to, and they're off key. But when the duet starts, this is my favorite part of the whole movie. It finally sinks in what's going on. And then they start looking around, looking at the reactions of the other people. But what happens next is the coolest part of all, then silence. And all you Mm -hmm. see is them looking around. Um, So we see the concert from their perspective. When Mm -hmm. the sound goes off, a lady's crying. People are clapping or moving their heads and um, just really enjoying the music, then they can enjoy it vicariously by watching the reactions of the other people. I just mm-hmm. thought that was so tender. I, I thought it was very sweet. Mm-hmm. I would got to say when that, the moment in the movie where all the sound drops out of um, that floored me when I first saw the movie. Yeah. Because, I mean, it makes sense that they would do that at least at one point in the movie so you can sort of experience what the characters are experiencing. But I didn't expect it. It just well, sort of happened. I didn't want it to happen either because I wanted to hear the whole song. But <laughs> well. <laughs> it was what but, was supposed yeah, when, to happen. It was the perfect yeah. moment for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you, you finally, yeah, they see the reactions and they know, oh, she can sing yes she does need to be doing this oh and she gets they get a standing ovation and it's just just beautiful Vera do you have any remarks about that scene it's a really lovely scene I related to um I used to dance um when I was in my youth um (laughs) and I remember at my dance recitals like I'd be in the wings ready to go out and I'd look out into the audience and my dad would be sleeping (laughs) Because oh. it's, I mean, it was ballet and tap, I guess. And, uh, and he's in a dark room and he can't hear the music. So he would just yeah. fall asleep. And so like my mom would look at the program and she'd know that I was next to come out and I'd watch her elbow my dad and be like, wake up, here is coming on. And then I'd finish and he'd go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> All right. So I guess... Uh, I'm next. I'm next. So uh, the last scene I want to talk about, uh, we talked about, um, you know, her relationship with Miles and Mr. V and her brother. I want to talk about Ruby and her mom. 
and the scene that they share in in Ruby's bedroom where so Jackie confesses to Ruby it's like when you were born I was so praying that you would be deaf because you know the doctors were testing her hearing and everything and she really really wanted Ruby to be deaf because she was so afraid that if Ruby could hear there would never be any sort of connection between them uh, it's just it's such a vulnerable moment for you know a parent to tell their child something like that it's like I the way you turned out is not what I would have wanted for you or for me in this case really but you know and she's like I was so afraid I was going to be this bad mom because I can't hear and you can and and then of course it ends on a little joke and Ruby's like oh you're a terrible mom for so many other reasons. (laughs) But it's a sweet way, you know, it's kind of a, it's a little insult, but it's a sweet kind of insult, you know? So I did, I just really like that scene and Marley Matlin. I mean, she's, she's an incredible actor. I've enjoyed her in many, many things over the years. It was an an honest thing to say, but it's just, to me, it's terrible (laughs) that she would wish for her daughter to be deaf. I mean, that just doesn't seem right. I was going to say that it seems to most people because people think, well, why would you want your child to have a disability? But for a lot of people who identify as being culturally deaf, they don't look as deafness at at their deafness as a disability. The world treats them as disabled, but they don't feel as though their deafness is a disability. It's more of being a cultural and linguistic minority group because language and culture are so closely intertwined. And because Mm. they're the only disability group that has their own language, they view themselves in that way. And so she feels that because her daughter is able to hear, she can't share that in the same way, right? Mm. Except for the fact that, and of course, she doesn't know what music sounds like or hearing hearing things, a bird chirping, you know, it just to a hearing person that seems like, well, I could never, it's not that it's a disability. I mean, everybody has different kinds of disabilities um, and in certain way, not all of them are physical. Some of them are uh, mental, you know, some are. Mm-hmm social you know yeah I'm not a perfect person but um I can't imagine wishing that my per- my child couldn't hear a bird or a song I, I can't I can't relate to that yeah I think yeah. it's more just wishing that you can share the same experiences because she knows and I understand to, that yeah, yeah she knows how to approach things from a deaf perspective right and if when her child faces barriers she knows how to handle that as a deaf person, but for mm-hmm. the people who like are in Ruby's school that she protects her parents from who make fun of her parents being deaf, like her mom doesn't know how to handle that situation. She doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's a difficult situation. I mean, yeah. they really did a good job of getting that through so that you can feel empathy mm-hmm. for what they're going through. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, Vera, what's your final scene? And then we'll get into the ending of the movie. My last scene comes after, um, again, (laughs) um, the concert scene after they go home. um, And obviously 
um, Frank and Jackie and Leo have taken in the concert via the atmosphere as opposed to being able to access the music. Um, but Frank and Ruby are sitting outside and he asks her to sing the song again. And he puts his hands on her throat so he can feel the vibrations of her voice. And I just think that that's a really beautiful and touching moment between father and daughter. Um, mm -hmm. It's the reason that he's my favorite character in the movie. And I think mm -hmm. I sent you a picture, Jackson, of um, me at camp one year doing something similar. Did I send you that picture? Uh, I don't think you sent me that one, no. So um, I, since I was 15 or 16, I've been volunteering at a camp for the deaf. It's how I met my husband. All my best friends are from camp. My husband is able to hear, but his family founded the camp. Um, and so a lot mm. of them volunteer there. And I'm sitting on the beach and I'm playing my then boyfriend, now husband's guitar. And I'm just strumming it. And there's a little deaf boy. He's an adult now, but at the time he was a little boy. Um, his name is Bailey. And he is profoundly deaf and also developmentally disabled. And he's got mm. his hands on the guitar, the face of the guitar. And as I'm strumming, he's feeling the notes that are being played. Oh, and he mm -hmm. sat there for like an hour and a half. Just me not even playing anything, just doing low notes, high notes. And he was just enjoying feeling the rhythm coming out of that guitar. Mm -hmm. um, another thing we do at camp is we put speakers, turn the music up really loud. We put the speakers on the floor so that the floor vibrates. vibrates. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> everybody can enjoy a dance party. They can enjoy worship music, whatever music that is happening is inclusive of everybody in the room because it's not necessarily mm. through sound but through how you feel the music and i think that yeah. that gives a deeper meaning to the music right music does make you feel mm -hmm. and i like that metaphor <laughs> that is wonderful yeah I, I mean it makes me think of the other scene in the movie where uh <laughs> Uh, the parents pull up to pick Ruby up from school in their pickup truck, and he, they're just yeah. blasting, <laughs> blasting rap music. The rap? Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> he just another... likes the vibration of it. <laughs> I have another story about that. So my dad will listen to music in the car, like listen to music. He can't hear it, but again, feel the music in the car and just whatever station. Like he'll just play with it, and when he feels something that he appreciates, he'll leave it on that station. And one time he recorded a birthday message for my middle daughter while he was in the car and had the car on. Um, <laughs> and, and the song in the background is WAP. <laughs> oh, goodness. Mom, <laughs> don't ask. Don't, you, you don't, don't worry. Know. I'm not, I'm not going to look it up. It's really it is not a tasteful song. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know how song. it gets played on the radio. It's like 90% right. bleeped out. But that's yeah. the song in the background as he's like, happy oh, birthday, goodness. middle daughter. And that I'm like, I, I can't show her this. That is... <laughs> <It's so funny. laughs> oh, goodness. Oh. Oh, this is why I like having guests on because you get funny <laughs> stories like this. Anyway. All right. Anybody? Well, I mean, I just want to say, I mean, this is the scene. The, the scene between Ruby and, and Frank, this is the scene that won Troy Cotts or the Oscar. Oh, yeah. And I would have, if he had not already chosen just, that scene, I would have chosen it. I mean, one of us was going to pick it. it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. one of the best scenes in the whole movie. It's just yeah. beautiful. Well, all right. I, I guess that gets us into the ending of the movie. So uh, 
who wants to describe what happens at the ending of, of CODA? We should let our guests do that. Vera, you want to do the honors? Um, sure. So okay. um, Ruby does decide she's going to attend her audition. Um, and she goes and she appears on stage at Berkeley in front of the committee that I guess is judging. Yeah, this and, is Berkeley College of Music, just to clarify for the listeners. Thank you. Yeah. I, yes. um, Mr. V may have heard it uh, in his third world country, but me up in Canada was unfamiliar with it. <laughs> oh, really? <Yeah. laughs> it's a very prestigious music school. Yeah. Yeah, my parents are deaf. Nobody cared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she goes up on stage and she gets stage fright again. Um, and she doesn't know what to do. Mr. V, who she thought had abandoned her, ends up showing up to the audition and he offers to play the piano to accompany her. And she looks up into the balcony and she sees her family is there. They've snuck into the balcony area and they're there to watch her audition. Even though they, she knows that they can't hear it, it means a lot to her that they're there supporting her because it's something that they weren't doing earlier on in the movie. And so she decides that with Mr. V, with her family there, she's going to perform the song in both of her languages at the same mm-hmm. time. So she's going to sign it and she's going to sing it. And she does a beautiful rendition of the, the Jody Mitchell song. And the signing is very beautifully done. And she ends up getting into the school. Her boyfriend doesn't. Boo-hoo for him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then at the very end of the movie, it's the Rossi family all saying goodbye standing outside of the house and she's nervous and her dad finally vocalizes something you know throughout the movie they've made certain sounds um but they haven't said any auditory words and he Mm -hmm. tells her with his voice to go and she gets in the car and she looks at the window and she does the sign for i really love you which is also her sign name um for ruby so instead of spelling Mm. out a name in sign language you can so my name is v-e-r-a and then you take the letter v and you shake it that's the name my parents gave me so that you don't have to spell my name all the time so Hmm. ruby's sign name is the sign for i love you which is your middle and uh ring finger touching your palm and the other fingers are up that's i love you if you extend your middle finger again and wrap it around your index finger that's the sign for i really love you and if you shake it it's her sign name it's ruby Hmm. So as she drives away, she sticks her hand out the window and she does that sign to her family and the movie ends. Yeah. (laughs) It's a very, very powerful ending to this very simple story. Uh, And I found myself being very overwhelmed by it uh, when it happened. One little detail that I like is when, uh, when Mr. V shows up and starts playing the piano, she starts the song and she's just not quite there yet like she's very timid in her vocal delivery and so mr v messes up on the piano so she has to start it over and uh i i sent y'all the little gif that i <laughs> that this movie makes me think about it it's the scene in end game where <laughs> where uh the portals start opening up behind captain america that's what it made me think of the way he comes in there and like rescues her because on your left. she's forgotten her sheet music and the the accompanist that is working at the school she doesn't know the song and everything i just love that little detail of the scene 
Well, I think she forgot her sheet music because she wasn't going to go. Her parents. She wasn't going to go. Her parents got her to do it. Yeah. And said, you're going, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I love that part of that, too, that they realized that that's what had to happen. Mm -hmm. She does like the first verse of the song without the sign language. But when she starts signing, I just lost it. (laughs) Well, I did, too. It's, (laughs) It's so lovely. Uh, that whole sequence. And the song is just one of the most beautiful songs that I've ever heard. Well, so. It, it's so meaningful. She's looked yeah. at life from both sides, the deaf side, mm-hmm. the hearing side, you know. Yeah. Um, it's it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Virida, you have anything else to say about the, the finale of the movie? Um, nothing that you haven't already said, um, but I can <laughs> echo that. Um, the metaphor of the song as applied to the movie is very important. It's a beautiful song. She sings it beautifully. She signs it beautifully. Signing music is like very, very advanced. It's so difficult. Everyone wants to start there and it is the most difficult signing that you can Mm. do. And she knocks it out of the park. She does such a good job with it. So uh, um, when you watched it, it was even more meaningful because you knew what she was doing yeah 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 <laughs> oh my goodness I and I wish I knew sign language but I I don't I just know the alphabet <laughs> I bet you know some signs if you were to go somewhere and ask for a drink how would you sign it there you go pretty universal <laughs> oh I love it you know more sign language than love. you to do exactly or just hug yeah okay <laughs> I, it okay was- well go ahead no, I just said it was beautiful. I just, yeah. I lost it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very effective. Um, anyway, I guess that can get us into our next segment. And we've sort of touched on a lot of the stuff we would normally talk about in this segment already. So we don't have to do this for very long. But our next segment, as always, is called Lessons Learned, wherein we talk about sort of the, the themes and the deeper meanings of the movie. So uh, Vera, I'm, I'm just going to open it up to you right away, uh, because obviously you have insights about this movie that the two of us don't. So is there anything else that this movie sort of gets at that you'd like to talk about? I, I think that it, for me, it's more interesting to hear what um, somebody who is not of the deaf community or deaf culture has received from the movie. Because for me, I, I see people who look like me in movies all the time. I'm very pale, fair, blonde hair. Like the Barbie movie just came out. <laughs> we look alike. No, I'm kidding. Um, but um, uh, but people who have lived my experience, I don't get to see. Like I see deaf people in media all the time um, and more so nowadays. And that's something that I am really loving about how casting works nowadays is to cast mm-hmm. authentically deaf people in deaf roles much more often than that used to happen. Um, but mm-hmm. for somebody who is a coda, even though the actress herself isn't a coda, but to represent somebody who like myself straddles both the hearing and the deaf world, who is the bridge between them, who has had to go through the struggles that only a coda can understand um, was a really special experience for me. Um, yeah. And I think it's a great example of why representation matters <laughs> because mm-hmm when you feel that way, when you've never seen that before, it really does hit differently. 
you could really relate. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like on every single level. And even though my parents weren't, you know, salty signing fisher people from the United States, um, my mom is a, a deaf immigrant to Canada. My dad and um, who lost her hearing, my dad and his sister were born here in Canada. Um, but on there's so much about deaf people around the world that is relatable. And there's so much about the CODA experience around the world that we all relate to. Um, so mm-hmm. even though we might live in different places, have different jobs, um, singing wasn't something that I got into until much later in life. Um, but there are so many of those smaller personal experiences that are mm-hmm. very, very similar across the board. All right. Mom, you got anything to add to this part of the show? We didn't talk much about fishing. (laughs) No, that's a big part of the movie, though. It is. It's really (laughs) a big part. Uh, One of the things that I I took away from the movie is how the parents, they they were going through the status quo, but they were very, very miserable in doing it because they were getting ripped off. And their mm-hmm. friends were getting ripped off. And so it, it shows how, because Ruby is going to leave and they know they're going to lose their bridge to the hearing world, plus they're getting ripped off, they really want to branch out. And uh, I think that's part of a, a big theme of the movie is that everyone grows in mm-hmm. in in this story everyone in the family grows in different ways and uh that's a a really important lesson learned we constantly grow we have to take risks ruby took a risk her parents took a risk and um and and things start paying off for them and they grow in their understanding of ruby Mm -hmm. and i i just think that's a very that you have to let your kids go apparently your parents didn't have trouble letting you go. Uh, Yeah, they did. When I got married, I had to set up some pretty strict boundaries. Um, My dad and his sister, my aunt, um, my grandmother spent a lot of time with them, making sure that they were able to assimilate in the hearing world very well. Whereas um, my mom, she was born in Italy. She didn't move to Canada until she was 11. Um, and so they come from a very like family oriented background. And um, when you have a, a child or somebody in your family with a disability in a culture like that, they tend to do things for them as opposed to letting them learn to do it on their own. So my mom was very dependent on her parents and then very dependent on me as the family interpreter, as the oldest <laughs> child and girl. Um, I was the one that did a lot of that growing up. And when I got married, Um, my husband and I had to put in some very firm boundaries and it took a while for her to get used to it. Um, But now we're in a place where, you know, I'll interpret for things like if we're going to Italy, obviously she's not going to be able to hire an interpreter to visit her family while she's there. So I'm happy to interpret for her family. Yeah. And and I get to go to Italy. I love it. It's my favorite place in the whole world. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Um, and, and so, um, or we go out to a restaurant, I I will give the waitress her order. Right. But if Mm -hmm. it's, um, uh, at the, when my, my grandmother, my Nona passed away at the funeral home, um, I'm not going to interpret my mom's eulogy for her. 
that has mm-hmm. to be done through a professional interpreter now because I get to be a part of the family, not be the interpreter. You know what I mean? Right. Yes. Mm. Very good. Uh, another thing I, I take is, you know, Ruby, she took the bullying really well. Mm-hmm. Um, she is not insecure. I mean, she is insecure about her singing, but she is, she just lets life roll past her because she just has to deal. And that's why she's my favorite character because she just deals with the bullying. She doesn't look down on anyone. Whereas, Mm. you know, they were constantly making fun of her, but, and she just overcame her adversity. Um, It's just great. I don't think I have anything exceptional to add uh at this point in the conversation i think we've pretty well covered it i just really i did really respond to just the central idea of um you know what what happens in a family when the the child the thing they love most in this world apart from their family is something that their family fundamentally cannot understand mm-hmm. and how how does a family navigate those waters? I, I ah, fishing metaphor. There we go. There you go. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I don't think I have too much to say about it other than that. I, like I said, I think we've covered it pretty well. But I did really strongly respond to to that aspect of the movie. Just you know, it's very something I don't really ever have to think about, and I like it when a movie gets me to think about something that you know, I wouldn't have considered before. So I think that's the real value in, in movies like this to give you a portrait of a world that you're not a part of. Anyway, anybody else have any other thoughts or do you want to move into the fifth scale? Well, just let me say something about the shags. <laughs> Nobody even okay. mentioned the shags. Y'all look no. them up. Did you look them up? I've I've heard the shags before. It's really there was three girls. They were sisters, and their dad bullied them into having a band. Oh, I didn't know that about them. Oh, they didn't. Oh, they they were didn't weren't even talented. No. And their father bullied them. Hmm. I just thought that was interesting huh. that they used that particular band in this movie. So Huh. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that about oh, them. I didn't, but yeah, I have heard their music. I should have known. I should have known who they were. That's my generation, but I never heard of them. Yeah, <laughs> they were from the Northeast. <clears throat> it was a real band. All right, so that gets us into <laughs> the flip scale. So, Vera, you're going to be very familiar with this format. This is very similar to the fog meter. <laughs> I just ripped it off the whole cloth. So uh, it is our two-pronged metric for rating movies. Uh, It's done on a scale of fun, which is like just the entertainment value of the movie, how much you just enjoy watching it, and feelings, which has more to do with uh, thematic and emotional resonance. So you get the idea. So we do it from one to 10. So uh, Vera, I'm going to come to you first. What would you give this movie on the fun scale? Um, on the fun scale, I'm going to give it an eight. Okay. I think it's fun. (laughs) I think it's a a very small scale, simple story. And I think that those don't get told enough 
nowadays. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, agreed. Mom, what are you going to give it on the fun scale? You want to (laughs) guess? I have no idea. (laughs) Two. Okay. We've already had. All right. Say your piece. Say your piece. (laughs) I've been really good tonight. I know. The the movie would have gotten a 10 for me had it not been for the crude humor, the vulgarity, the sexual innuendos. And I just really um, kind of took it way down for me on the fun scale. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. I'm kind of glad now that the cap- captions don't capture um, exactly how graphic some of the signing was because it might have brought it lower. That would be fascinating to, how, to find I mean, out. Zero, I, one or zero is as low as it could go on the fun scale. That's what I'm saying. I'm glad it didn't go lower. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to go. I'm going to I'm going to go with Vera on this. And I'm going to also give it an eight. Okay. Um, you know, it's a it's a, it's a well made movie. It's not like it's not the kind of movie that you know is going to change your definitions of cinema or anything. It's just a very nice, well told story with great acting and uh, a really a, just a good script. You know, and I agree. I I don't feel like enough movies like that get made. So go yeah. with eight. All right. Uh, let's see. We're going to start the circle again. So Vera, what would you give this on the feelings scale? 10. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Does it need to be explained at this point? I feel like I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I feel like it's, um, mom, what are you going to give it? I'm going to give it an eight. Okay. If it wasn't for the, you know what, it would get a 10. I mean, okay. really and truly. But I, I mean, eight's really high. It's, yeah. I love this story. I just mm-hmm. think it's a wonderful story. And it was mm-hmm. good to tell it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm also going to give it a 10 on the feeling scale. This movie just really, I mean, even though it's not something I can personally relate to, I, I related just enough of it. But it's just, I found it so surprising and touching, you know, because I remember when it won the Oscar and everybody's like, that won the Oscar? And I hadn't seen it at that point. Uh, And then when I finally watched it myself, much because Vera said it was one of her favorite movies, and so I was like, I'll give it a watch. And uh, I just was, I was floored by it, particularly a lot of the scenes that we've mentioned over the course of this discussion. So yeah, I'm going to give it a 10. It also got overshadowed by another event that uh, happened at the Oscars that year. Oh, it was that year. I <laughs> Is that the year? That. Oh, God. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to say what happened. I think we all know what happened. Well, I don't watch them, <laughs> but I know what happened. It <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> and I, so. I always wanted to watch it. I, I never had watched it, but I always wanted to watch it because of Troy Kotzer. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I love his wife. You know, she's <laughs> great. Okay, we have an so, eight, a solid eight. Well, almost eight. Eight. It's an eight. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I make mom do the math because I don't like math and she loves it. So <laughs> eight. 
clapping and family. Okay. Well, we here at <laughs> yes, we here at Family with Family uh, collectively give uh, Coda an eight out of ten. So uh, the one final question is, I know what I, I think I know where this is going, but uh, what ages would you recommend watching this movie? Um, I think your rating system is a little bit different than ours. I think it's 14A in your country. Is that okay. what it is? Um, uh, it would be PG-13. PG-13. Yeah, so it's 14A yeah. here, PG-13 there. So um, depending on which side of the border you're on, 13 or 14 is the <laughs> appropriate age, according to yeah. the censors. <laughs> Mom, you have anything to contribute? <laughs> Higher? <laughs> <laughs> she thinks it should be older. Uh, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with you. I think, I think 13 or 14 is fine for a movie like this. Cause yeah, it does have some crude stuff in it, but I think the overall meaning of the movie weighs much heavier than any of the sort of. It is a great story. I love yeah. that story. I think it's something that it, it, good for something that parents and children specifically, uh, you know, of a certain age should watch together because I think there's a lot to talk about there. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about. We've been talking for a while. You <laughs> always want to teach your kids not to bully others, not to judge, yeah. not to make fun. It's, yeah. That's very important lessons to teach your children. Definitely. Mm-hmm. All so. right. So uh, anybody else have anything to add before we call it a night? It's just been delightful. Yes, yeah, so much fun. I felt like yeah, uh, I very delighted. This is why I wanted to bring Vera on because I knew <laughs> we'd be able to get some stories and some insights. I about love this, it. This community, so yeah, yeah. Anyway, happy to. So, if anyone has any questions, reach out. I'm happy to answer whatever questions people have about deaf community, deaf culture, etc. All right. Well, you can find this podcast wherever you found it. Uh, it's been a while since we recorded I forgot what I say at the end (laughs) gotta write down a script yeah I need to do that (laughs) so uh, you know give us a rating give us a review you know smash that like button or something (laughs) or something (laughs) yeah you know subscribe to our feed Um, I will say uh, normally I would say what we're doing on our next episode, but this is going to be the last episode of season one of this show, because we have decided we're going to go, we're going to do like 12 episode cycle. So we're going to be a little bit of a break, uh, before the next season starts and, uh, we'll be back after that. Yeah. So until then, I, I don't know. I normally have a little clever sign off, but I don't. So <laughs> imagine that I'm in there. Imagine that I'm uh, doing something in sign language. Yeah, you you did it in sign language. We all thought it was beautiful. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> this is an audio medium and the, the listeners don't get to know exactly what was said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Good night, y'all. Good night.